Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and uh, before we begin with the show, just a quick announcement. We are recording this on Friday, September 8th, and uh, earlier I did mention that I have a charity bundle for Hurricane Harvey uh, that I'm going to be donating any profits from that to uh, the Red Cross to assist in relief efforts. Um, and as we are recording this, I think sometime this weekend, uh, Hurricane Irma is supposed to start hitting Florida. It's already hit several other islands in the Caribbean, so definitely a lot of uh, devastation down there. And I'm sure, of course, charities are going to need all the help they can get to assist people with getting their lives back in order. And uh, so I'll probably be doing my charity bundle through the month of September. Uh, so go to drivethroughstuff.com and look up Point of Insanity Game Studio. But not only that, um, there are actually, I found out uh, there's a few other publishers that are also doing their various charity bundles. So, you know, check them out. You know, it's a good way for you to not only get some uh, PDFs to expand your your library of role-playing material, but you'll also uh, get a good feeling knowing that your purchases are going to be donated to various charities to help the people recover from these uh, recent hurricanes that have uh, really done a lot of damage and a lot of devastation in the American Southeast and the uh, in the Texas and Louisiana areas as well. But on to today's topic. You know, you got to start somewhere. And today's topic is going to be some adventures that you can use to start a campaign. And to help me out with this topic, I've got a gentleman from the podcast about Dungeons and Dragons and the community of fans who enjoy it. You know him, you love him, my friend and yours, Dan from Radio Free Borderlands. How are you doing today, Dan? Wondering how I can live up to that. <laughs> you always do. You always do. You'll always be Dan the Man from Radio Free Borderlands. Oh, I hope not. That I rhyming thing sucks. Um, hey. All right. So, where so today's topic, as I said, we're going to be discussing some adventures that you can use to start a campaign. And let's start by what makes a good introductory adventure? So we're going to discuss that, and then Dan and I are also going to share some uh, modules or adventures that we've either seen, played, or ran that we felt were good ways to start an adventure. And we're not going to be limiting it just to first-level adventures because, you know, because really, I mean, I, now, Dan, whenever you start a campaign... Do you usually start everyone at first level, or have you ever done a campaign where you maybe wanted to start everyone a little bit higher, maybe, you know, third or fourth or fifth level? It depends. Um, home games definitely start at first. Um, for uh, convention events, I think it depends on the story I want to tell. 
Yeah, and, and that's a good point because obviously when you are doing a, an event at a convention and both of us have experienced both running adventures and playing in adventures at at a Gen Con and other gaming conventions and, you know, that's, you know, kind of its own animal because you've, you know, you've only got these players for a few hours. Like, usually most conventions I've been to, they have it in four-hour time blocks. Um, do they still do that at Gen Con, or do they, does it really kind of depend on the event? Because I haven't been to Gen Con since it left Milwaukee. Um, well, you know, to be honest, uh, you can go as low as two hours. Um, Baldman Games, who run the current 5th edition Adventurers League, a lot of their stuff at conventions seems to run the two-hour line. Okay, so not necessarily something you'd play as a full game session, but do they tend to do just more like short scenarios? Um, yeah, they pack them in pretty good. Uh, you'll get like maybe two or three combats and um, kind of a taste for it. But I think what they want you to do is... You know, they'll split up some larger things into four or five different two-hour slots, which, A, I mean, they, they get the, they get more because it's instead of just doing a big, long four-hour for $4 or $6, they can get you into two or three two-hours for four bucks a piece, five bucks a piece. Um, and while we're talking a little bit about Gen Con, and one of the things that I, I remember when... Uh, Again, back when it was in Milwaukee, I mean, you remember the old TSR Castle. And, mm. you know, in the area, they had these booths set up where someone made like a diorama. And some of them were quite big, like, you know, they would fit on a, a you know, easily fit on a card table. And it was a good way to kill a half hour to an hour. Like there the was. Ravenloft a, one was a good three or four levels deep. Yeah. And then. I remember we were playing one. Was the setting Red Steel or Savage Baronies? Remember it was one Savage of Savage Baronies was a box set off of Red Steel. Yeah, and it was like, because the adventure had that whole swashbuckling thing to it. Remember, yeah. it's like, you know, we were trying to do trick shots when the town guard came in just to tell them we weren't trying to fight each other. But, so yeah, there there were, those were little fun events. And mm -hmm. um, maybe those are some those short little encounters might give you some good ideas on how you can start off a campaign. But let's first talk about if you're going to create your own adventure to start off a campaign. So when you are creating a first level, or not necessarily a first level, but if you're creating an adventure to start off your campaign, what are some things that you like to think about or uh, work into the adventure? I kind of like to get their feet wet into the story, but just put in little hints. Uh, you don't, you, you, I don't necessarily want them to get thrown headfirst into the major plot because people are going to feel railroaded. Um, and this is my home home game with, you know, veteran players. Um, you know, you give them a, a real basic a thing to do that people would hire first level putzes for and maybe dangle some hints or clues as to what's coming up. Okay. So you like to start out with things like caravan duty where, you know, a, 
a merchant is going over to the next town with a shipment of whatever, and he wants some people to help uh, protect the caravan because there's goblins or orcs or bandits on the route. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perhaps. That's a thought. Yeah, and that I think is always a good choice for a starting adventure, as cliche as it might be. And just my personal opinion is because, you know, you might have these players where, I mean, I don't know what people like to do for the starting age for their characters, Mm -hmm. but if we assume that it's going to be, well, for humans anyway, like late teens, early 20s, or the equivalent age range for, you know, a demi-human, you know, it's something that, because maybe these characters, they've spent their entire life living in this city. And maybe they want to be able to go out and explore the, you know, the the countryside or go see new cities. And this is a good way to introduce them into, uh, you know, this into your campaign world because it gives mm-hmm. them that opportunity to go for, to another city. And who knows, maybe once you go to that other city, there's other opportunities that await there. Yeah, and there's some other ideas too. Like, you know, if you have a a combat-heavy warrior-type group, you can even have them starting out as, like, say, um, employees of the mine or um, some woodcutters, and they kind of get thrown in on it just because they're heading home and they have the uh, payroll with them, and then they get ambushed, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep, and, I mean, I think for me... um, I mean, I don't know how you script out your campaigns if you are thinking something like long term. Mm -hmm. Um, When you script out your campaigns or your planning, do you try to plan it as you go? Or do you say like, okay, I've got my definite beginning and I've got my definite idea for the end. Now it's just filling out everything in between. Uh, you know what? I'll just, I'll definitely have like, here's a beginning, but I won't go any further than maybe, um, one or two weeks ahead. Um, I'll have a lot of times a basic idea of how I want things to end, but I try not to get married to that because the players will surprise you. You know, if your whole plan is to convince them to go to Waterdeep and they decide to run away to Tantris, that's not going to work. So either you amend what the end was going to be, or you just kind of throw it out the window and let them figure out what they're doing. Um. Yeah. And that's kind of how I roll. I mean, I do tend to be a bit more though towards, I, I come up with an idea for how I want to start the campaign. And usually for my first adventure, I like having it where, you know, maybe the players, they have like a mentor, you know, maybe there's a a wizard in the group and he's an apprentice to, you know, of course, a higher level wizard. And he might, you know, he might ask his apprentice to go run an errand for him or go hunt down a rare magical ingredient. And then I try to find a way to work that into the, you know, the campaign, how that's going to lead to a next possible scenario. Um, I usually try to think of, okay, this is how I want the campaign to end, but I like to keep it kind of loose and free for how you're going to get from the, the start to the end. And I think it's for the same reason you mentioned, where you really don't want to railroad the party. Um, mm-hmm. You do want to give them some of that, 
well, you know how like there's video games they have the, the term they use is the sandbox feel or mm. like an open world where you're not being forced to go from encounter to encounter, but it's more like, you know, you can, you can run around and explore as, as much as you want. Mm-hmm. The only problem with a full blown sandbox is um, a lot of times the, 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 the PCs will become almost uh, paralyzed by the amount of choices that they have. Okay. And, and all of a sudden you'll find that they aren't doing anything. Yeah, and, and I admit that can be uh, tricky to work with as well. So, you know, usually I try to, you know, it can be challenging to think of a, a logical way to work the party back into the main plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, have you, what are some tricks of the trade that you use for working the players back into the plot if they start to wander off? Well, assuming that they're PCs that are of an, a young age, like you were mentioning, you can have some fun with the idea of, of family. And I'm not saying, like, attack their families, kill their families. We don't, we don't want to go full cliche uh, Ranger backstory here. <laughs> um, what are you? Wait, 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 wait. Are you, you saying that you, Ranger characters always have to have tragic backstories? Okay. Um, how do I put this? Um, I haven't seen one yet, at least in 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 you know recorded storybook type form that hasn't. I mean, look at Drizdord, and yeah, you can't get much more tragic than that. Yeah, and I mean, you could argue that Tannis Half Elven was pro- what could have been could have been a ranger. Man, that guy had a piss miserable childhood. Yeah, Riverwind, another example of a ranger with a tragic backstory where you know him and gold moon being exiled from their tribe yeah and and i think at least the way they they wrote rangers from second edition on uh with the whole idea of a species enemy i think that also lends itself to that tragic backstory like you know your your character's village was sacked by ogres so now he goes out and kills ogres every time he meets so yeah uh, and there's um there, there's a uh, kind of a, a nerd folk rock or folk guy who um, he he actually Dan the Bard. On a, yeah, he has a couple of of songs. There's Fred the Ranger and Aramil's Annoying Talking Sword that both <laughs> um, compound on this. And because yeah. I've yeah. I've heard Fred the Ranger. It's like if you want to kill a lich, then your life will be a la 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 la. I haven't heard that other one you mentioned though. Uh, yeah, it has the whole idea of the tragic backstory for the ranger, and then he makes the sword makes fun of him, and then he makes fun of the bard singing the song, and talks about you know nice loot, bard boy. It'll make a great campfire later tonight. <laughs> um, you know, and but but family wise, there are like say you know they're they're kind of wasting their time in town taverns, whatever. What you can do is surprise them, like. Uh, uh, Jimmy, you've you've been called to uh, go to your uncle's house, and he runs this uh, rather well-to-do um, merchant shop. And, and you go there, and you know, what can I do for you, Uncle Steve? Well, Jimmy, you know how you've been annoying me since you were five years old to have you and your friends do something for me. How'd you like to do something for me? Because you're cheap. Because you're family. <laughs> yeah, and. 
I mean, one thing that I've actually found is helpful for getting player characters back in track, um, treasure maps. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, what, what party of adventurers can resist a treasure map? So, I mean, I think that's definitely helpful if you've got your players are starting to wander from where you want them to be. And it's like maybe in a treasure hoard or, you know, in the backpack of a bandit they just killed, there's a map that is said to lead to a treasure. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you don't even have to do the map. I mean, maybe if they're somewhere in a, you know, local tavern, they might overhear uh, some other adventures t- discussing rumors of, you know, a cave where, you know, some warrior king long ago hit a great amount of treasure. So I've always found that's a good way to keep players motivated, especially if you've got player players that are playing a bunch of greedy little, you know, greedy little bastard characters. Um, there's another thought too, if because you know, even even if you don't have the all, all the way to the end plan, you'll like I said, you'll have these first two or three adventures planned up and ready to go. And maybe, you know, okay, so they didn't take the bait. So since they didn't take the bait, this, this, this pissy little, uh, minor boss guy that they were going to fight, like in, you know, uh, uh, number four, you know, he, he, he's now free to do what he wants. So you just give him a little taste of the consequences for not following the rules. You know, he was planning on blowing up part of the, the town or the wall or something. Well, since they didn't do it, he actually blows it up. Yeah, and another uh, another reason that for me that I tend to kind of wing it is, unfortunately, I don't. We haven't game, had a chance to game together for a while. Um, so for me, usually I've been gaming at my local brick and mortar hobby store, and part of that challenge in that type of environment is while I do have a few friends that you know, I have been gaming with regularly, sometimes we'll have new people circulate in and out of the group. So for me, I have to learn how to really kind of be flexible because, you know, maybe we have someone who's been playing the the tank fighter of the party and then his work schedule changes so he can't game anymore with us. Oh yeah, you don't, you don't uh, uh, punish for legitimate reasons. Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, just, that ain't right. Um, exactly. But I mean, and then there's another one. Now you, you have the idea of the, the treasure map. Okay. So if they don't pounce on it, like they're like, Oh, we want to do this and this for the first couple of weeks and, and fart around, you know, maybe they get there and the place is cleaned out. And now here, that might sound like a punishment, but then you leave enough clues that they can go track down the people who cleaned it out. Yep. And this might seem like a kind of a jerk move to some people, but one plot device I've used on occasion is if I've got like an exceptionally powerful wizard that the players have to fight against. Um, sometimes what I'll do is like I'll drop hints about this wizard near the start of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe this wizard led an army that destroyed their village or, you know, whatever. But I do something to establish that this party needs to track down and defeat this wizard. Um, but what I'll sometimes do is I'll have them meet the the wizard a few times before there I intend for them to fight the wizard for real. So if I want the party to veer off into another direction, 
I'll have the wizard, okay, he casts some sort of spell, and next thing you know, your group is now on the other side of the planet. So now you have to find a way to get back to your your home country. Though mm-hmm. I can see how some people might consider that kind of a jerk move, and but I do find that it can be uh, helpful if you really find that your, your adventure is getting off the track that you want it to be on. Mm-hmm. So... Let's talk about some of the adventures that we've played. And again, we're not going to limit it to. Oh, can I just throw one thing out real quick? Um, I, you know, if, if I'm going to design my own for brand new players, people who have never played before, they've only played a little bit, they know enough about it. And what you want to do is you want to make sure that they get hooked in and they really know the gist of it. Um, I, I mean, First off, right off the bat, you want to give them as much of a taste of what the game is um, as possible. For example, uh, you know, instead of just, you know, uh, combats with, you know, kobolds and goblins, you, you, you find ways to get some of these iconic yet not too tough monsters in there. You know, throw them things that are, are unique to, to the game. Um, give them something also that, you know, they'll feel a little heroic, but will still feel familiar to them. Um, for example, if I was going to run something for my son, it would definitely have a Zelda feel because that's all he cares about right now. Um, and give them a bad guy, a boss that maybe is a little more powerful than they could handle, but you definitely hold the hand back so they still defeat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That way they get they get this whole experience of what it can be. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that I mean I I'll do it occasionally at low levels. I'll, you know, fudge the occasional roll, but yeah, I, I it, it is something that you gotta be careful with because of course you want them to feel challenged, but you don't want them to feel frustrated that, you know, you're intentionally throwing things at them that are too difficult for their current level of player. No, yeah, it's it's a, it's an art. It's not a science. Yes, um, and and you only really do that with with the big boss. You know, mm-hmm. you give them the little stuff to fight the normal stuff, but then give them a boss that. And I'm not talking like this is something that would be a challenge for six level. I'm talking like you know their first level, and maybe this would be a, a challenge for third. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. So we've talked about some of the things that we would do starting a campaign and trying to keep it on track, but let's talk about some examples we've seen of adventures that are really good for starting a campaign. And again, these don't always have to be first-level adventures, um, but usually that's a nice place to start. So, I mean, I think one of the reasons is because that's how those first-level adventures are written. They're since these are going to be for characters that aren't going to be powerful, they're not dripping in magic items, you want, they're good for, you know, really getting the feet wet, as you were saying before. So mm-hmm. what would you say is one example you've seen of a, a starting adventure, whether it's for first level or um, any other level, that you think does a really good job as a introduction to the campaign to a campaign. Honestly, most of the B series. Okay, from uh, basic. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, keep on the Borderlands. I'm sure that's one that both of us wanted to talk about. Yeah. That's definitely a good one. It has enough of a sandbox feel that allows the players not to feel like they're being railroaded. Um, Lost City was pretty good for that. Queen's Harvest. Um, yeah, and the thing that's nice about Keep on the Borderlands that I think makes it such a good first-level adventure is because, well, for starters, you've got that keep. And, you know, the players can use that as a home base. So that's where they're going to go if they need to heal up or if they need to maybe sell some of the things that uh, they found in the the, the caves that they're not going to need. But there's there's dungeon crawl aspects because that's where the bulk of the adventure takes place in these caves. Um, and then, you know, you've also got wilderness aspects in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check out also The Lost City. Okay, well, I'm not... four. Okay, I wasn't familiar with that one, so that's another basic D and D. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a sake or the gist of it is is that they find this um, stepped pyramid, and there's a race of beings that used to live above ground, now live underground, and I don't want to give too much about them away, but you're basically kind of. Uh, investigating this whole situation and, of course, killing things and taking stuff. <laughs> yeah. And one of my all-time favorite adventures, and this is one that, you know, it can be good for starting a campaign, but it's also just a good introductory adventure. And I've talked about this supplement many times. Uh, Tall Tales of the Wee Folk. And mm-hmm. the there's an adventure in there called The Lost Seneschal. And the the plot of the adventure is the Baron hires the players to find his missing tax collector. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about the adventure is there's a few encounters there that you're probably going to have to fight your way through. But there's also a lot of encounters in there that you don't have to just run in with swords and spells. You know, and I've played this adventure several times with several different groups and each group I played with have found just a little bit different way to go about the adventure. Um, and I, the adventure does introduce the, the fae folk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're introduced to that specific element. So if you are running a campaign where you plan to incorporate uh, a lot of interactions with the fairy races and woodland creatures, that that's another reason why it becomes such a good uh, starting adventure and how you can really use that to introduce a campaign. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's another adventure that you think is good for, maybe not first level, but maybe if you're going to look to a little bit higher level, maybe let's say about the three to five range. Um, you know, it's a good one. Uh, and you can modify it if you if if you feel like they're too high or too low, is um, Runes of Adventure. Okay. I don't know how familiar you are with that one. Not it's offhand. Late first first edition Forgotten Realms, and it is basically the module version of the Pool of Radiance. Oh, okay. Computer game. Um. 
And especially if you have people in our age who played the Pool of Radiance computer game, <laughs> this is a good, definitely a good one to go with. And the the other one in that series was Curse of the Azure Bombs, which also was one of the old SSI games. Yeah, and I haven't played Ruins of Adventure, but I have played the Nintendo version of Pool of Radiance, mm. and I can see how I can see where you're going with that because. The, uh, the plot of the game itself is the city, they want you to, to clear out the slums of, of Flan so that people can start living there again because it's become overrun with monsters. So a lot of the monsters that you face in that segment, they're going to be your classic monsters, your goblins, your orcs, your kobolds. Uh, eventually they do throw a troll in there, but obviously you want to wait till you're a little higher level before, uh, you take on them. But, you know, the nice thing about that is since you are using, um, you know, a lot of these basic monsters that generally aren't too tough, Mm -hmm. uh, well, except for the troll, of course, (laughs) um, again, it's, it's good for, uh, characters of that level. Yeah. Another, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Are you familiar with the L series? The L series? I am not. Lendor Isle series. Um, they were a first edition. Um, they were all written by Len Lakafka. And those are pretty good for this, too. What um, edition is it? First or second? First. 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 Okay. There, there were three parts of them. There was Secret of Bone Hill, Assassin's Knot, and Deep Dwarven Delve. The only problem <laughs> with this one is... The third one is only available pretty much now um, in PDF format because what happened was is they released the first two. They never got around to number three until 1999 when it was put in the Silver Anniversary Collector's Edition box set. So it's ah. very hard to come by in paper version. But it does end the series. And it's kind of cool knowing that the last first edition module came out in 1999. Oh, cool. Uh, they're introductory to levels two to four. So, and another adventure that I can see as being uh, good for uh, starting a campaign. The I don't know if you ever played any of the adventures based on the Dragonlance Chronicles. Yeah, because I th- I've played a, a couple of them, but the first one that focuses on your escape from Solus to go to Zax Tarith. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's a good way to really introduce your players to the Dragonlance setting. And mm-hmm. now it's, we've played it with both in the past where I played it with, I played it one time where we were using all our own original characters. And then I've also played it when we were using the Heroes of the Lance. But, you know, again, you do have this motive. You have to get to the ruins of the city because, you know, there's some great treasure there. Um, so I always thought that was a well-written module and, again, a real good way to introduce players to the, the Dragonlance setting. Mm-hmm. Definitely, especially if they've read the books, then they're going to feel a little bit like they're playing along. Um, any level of familiarity for new players is a good thing. Exactly, and I mean, if... Uh, especially if you've got someone who's maybe read the books but hasn't really played much of the game. Because mm-hmm. maybe they read the book and it's like, you know, I really like this Sturm Brightblade character. Uh, so he might go to the Game Master, can I play Sturm? 
And of course, they have him all statted out there. So there you go. Yeah, they read the first half of the first book. Man, that's my favorite character. He's totally going to save the world. And you just look at him and you're like, he's totally going to live to the end of the series. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The same as same as the people who think Ned Stark's going to end up on the Iron Throne. (laughs) Yeah, and I and the thing about the, of course, the way those adventures were written, and I. It can be challenging because, yeah, you want to try to keep to the plot of the book, but on the other hand, you don't. You want to still give the players some wiggle room, where they're not going to have to follow the exact footsteps that the players did or the characters did in the book. Um, so that's one thing I can think uh, why it can be challenging to write a, an adventure based on a book. Uh, plus, you don't want people to metagame because you might have someone who read the book and it's like. Oh yeah, I know what we have to do there because this is what this character did in the book, and that's what saved the party. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, another adventure that, and again, this is more for your upper low level characters. Uh, I've played a little bit of the Slave Lord series. I've run them. Yep, and I've played. Like I said, I've. Uh, I know I played with them through them with you and. In one of my groups that I was playing th- uh, with at the hobby store, we also uh, we played a little bit until the guy who was running it had to change. He had to stop because, again, his work schedule changed, so he couldn't game with us anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought that one had a certain charm to it where uh, it did give you a motivation because if you're assuming your characters are heroic – they probably would be naturally opposed to uh, people that are enslaving others. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about something that's a little bit higher level, so maybe we're going to start to get into about the six to eight uh, level range. Uh, do you have any adventures there that you've come across that you think are, are good ways to start a campaign at that little bit higher level? Well, against the Giants would be a good place to go. You read my mind. <laughs> because you can go from against the Giants to the uh, Drow series to Queen of the Demon Web Pits. And it, it, it creates this full story arc. Yeah, and weren't there some adventures that were meant to be a prelude to the Giants? Um... I honestly don't remember. But, yeah, and that's that's one of the things I think is uh, it makes Against the Giants a good uh, adventure for starting higher level characters. Because I think, again, you're starting about that 6th to 10th level range in that adventure. So I believe it starts, let me look here real quick, I have it up. Yeah, mine's on the other side of the room, so I, I, I'd have to get up to go get it. Uh, G-Series G123 Against the Giants. Three adventures for character levels 8 through 12. Okay, so it does start a little bit higher. and But I think that can still be a, a fun level to start at because, you know, by this time you're playing characters that they've accumulated a few magic items and, you know, they've gotten more hit points and more skills and spells, so they're going to be a little, they're going to have a greater survivability factor than a a lower level character would. Now with against the giants, 
uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention that that you pointed out right away is that it does form this uh, a very nice intro because you've got those different series where what is it uh, against the giants and then descent into the depths of the earth, um, and then from there it goes to like what Vault the sh- drow, yeah, Vault of the Drow, and then if you Queen of the Demon Web Pits, yep, end with Queen of the Demon Web Pits. So. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely some adventures that I would recommend checking out if uh, you have the chance. And plus, mm-hmm. the thing that about Against the Giants is it's there's a lot of points in that game where you don't want to just charge in with your swords and spells because mm-hmm. you're probably going to get run over. <laughs> you know, and the nice thing about that, the the Queen of the Demon Whip pits, that whole thing. If you if you want to be an absolute horrible 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 human being as a DM, um, you can easily uh, you know bounce from the G series to the D series to Q one and then go to H. The Bloodstones. Oh yes, and now I've only played the 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 last one, Throne of Bloodstone, but I know that there's uh, what there's four series in there. What level does uh, the first Bloodstone module start at? Well, and you, you have to understand, it's kind of a fair warning. First off, Bloodstone Pass, which is H1, it's it's uh, levels 15 and up, but it it requires a heavy, heavy use of the battle system rules. So if you don't have the battle system rules, it might be hard to run, or you might have to modify it a lot. Okay. Um, the other two in between, Mines of Bloodstone, which is 16 to 18, and the Bloodstone War 17 to 20, you can run those without the battle system rules. Yep. And then, of course, then you get to uh, Throne of Bloodstone, which is 18 to 100. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which of course involves going into the abyss and then at the end you have to fight Tiamat. So yeah, not an adventure for the faint of heart. But you put these, the G's, the D's, the Q's, and then the H's. And then if you can find something even a little earlier than that, um, it might be hard because the H's are, they take place in the realms and the A series is in Greyhawk. But you could find a way, probably, and all of a sudden, you have an entire campaign from levels four to to, to retirement. Yeah, and it's and, all written for you. Yeah, because uh, so now the A series—that's the Slave Lord stuff, right? Correct, but okay. that takes place in the Marsh. Yeah, and, and I mean, I could still see that being very not well, not too difficult to uh, work that into the realms, or you know, work the other stuff into another setting. But yeah, well, I mean, to be, to be fair. All of it except for the H series is Greyhawk, technically. Okay. So we've talked quite a bit about Dungeons and Dragons. So are there any adventures that you've seen for other game systems that you think, hey, you know, that's actually kind of a fun, interesting way to start a campaign? I don't remember the names of them, but I know where you can find them. Um I have seen introductory, introductory, uh, my apologies, uh, adventures and scenarios in the rule books for both West End Star Wars and uh, Shadowrun 
that provide a really good feel of what to expect. Okay. And Marvel superheroes uh, for by TSR, that one actually did have some good adventures that I could see for introducing in, you know, ways to start up a campaign. Uh, one that I really enjoyed. Now, as far as what level you want to bring the players in, though, this is where it gets tricky because uh, the TSR Marvel superheroes didn't use levels. Um, and most of their adventures were written for a specific set of, of heroes in mind. Um, so, you know, usually you're going to assume that you're starting an adventure that, you know, is meant for heroes who've been around a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Like one adventure that I think has some potential for a good starting one is called Lone Wolves. And this adventure... Uh, it was written with Power Man, Iron Fist, uh, Daredevil, and the Black Widow in mind. So again, you're dealing with mostly char- mid-level characters, uh, not quite at the level of like Thor or in the Incredible Hulk, where you know you can pretty much crush just about anything in your path. But players that are still or heroes that are still tough in their own right. And that one did introduce a few other supervillains, which even if, like, one of them was Taskmaster, who is this criminal terrorist mastermind. And even if he does escape, I could still see him very easy for him to bring, you know, to bring him in later into the campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one I've seen, and this one was written for the West Coast Avengers. Um, so you had Hawkeye, um, Scarlet Witch, I think was in this one, the vision, uh, Wonder Man, Wasp, and I don't remember all of them, but those were the main ones. And there was an adventure called all this and world war two. And it was actually the start of a, of like, this thing was like a three part, series that focused on time travel. And for the the first part, all this in World War II, it involved traveling back to World War II Germany. So I thought that adventure was well-written, and it had a pretty good balance of problem-solving as well as, as combative encounters. Mm-hmm. The thing that could be challenging about running it, though, and I think we've talked about this on your show, um and this actually applies to any of the Marvel, uh, old TSR Marvel adventures. The problem with those adventures is that they were, most of them were written for a specific set of heroes. So that's just, that's fine if you're using the players that, you know, the characters provided in the adventure. But if you've got a party using, you know, all original characters, it's going to require a bit of modification. Like, for example, in the Lone Wolves adventure, the only character in there that really has any significant body armor um, is Power Man, uh, Luke Cage. So if you've got a lot of players in your group that, you know, they do have really heavy-duty body armor, then you want to, you know, definitely want to up their uh, the enemy's damage a little bit to make it a reasonable challenge. Can I ask you a question real quick? 42. What? 
why would a guy whose name is Luke Cage call himself Power Man? Luke Cage already sounds really badass. Yes, Power it does. Man just starts to sound cheesy. <laughs> uh, well, have you ever seen The Incredibles? Yes. Well, you know what they say in that, you know, your secret identity is, you know, something you got to protect. So uh, maybe that's why he... They also said no capes. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it was just because uh, they, you know, they didn't want... They, I don't know. Superheroes have to come with up with these uh, secret identities. So I guess... Oh, I understand. It's yeah. just Luke Cage sounds way more awesome. Yes, that is true. Power Man does sound kind of cheesy. Luke Cage sounds kind of badass. <laughs> yeah, it, it also sounds like the pseudonym for somebody who, like, you know, plays keyboards for Man of War in his free time. But <laughs> So, any other adventures you've seen for any other system? Or, or here's an idea. Do you, Are there any movies out there that you think could serve as inspiration for an introductory adventure to a campaign? Um, hmm. I think you got to read your audience for that one. Okay. Uh, you know, you know, I, I could, I could pick out just a group of five people that I know that if I had them come over and, and learn the game with them, it might be something a little closer to Lord of the Rings or Dragonheart or, or, you know, something like that. And then I know other guys who I'd probably have to tailor something a little more akin to the big Lebowski. <laughs> okay. And I mean, just for me, I, I felt that star Wars is uh, episode four. I think that one does have some good inspiration for an adventure that you could use to uh, start a campaign because, you know, again, it goes on the whole hero's journey thing where your player, you know, like in Luke, just looking at Luke Skywalker, you know, he comes home to the, you know, the farm and his aunt and uncle are dead and he has basically nothing, nothing left, nothing keeping him rooted to his home there. So you could easily, I think, adapt that into a fantasy setting where the players get back to their village and they find out it's been destroyed, but you kind of know who's responsible and, you know, you've yeah. got this, you know, wise old mentor figure who, you know, is going to guide you along the way until a certain point. Now, so that's just one of my ideas. I, I can tell you one that I, I I would I would definitely shout from the rooftops never to use as an introductory, okay. especially for new players. Keep them away from um, f- from Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's an awesome way to. See. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's. De- yeah, not one for the uh, the faint of heart or the inexperienced gamer. That's for sure. I, I know people who've who've been playing for twenty years who no, they won't play that still. <laughs> so, did you ever encounter anyone who dared stick their hand into the leering green devil face sm- face mouth? Yes. <laughs> did they? Make yes, their, I have. Did they fail their saving throw? Yes. <laughs> well, and, any closing yeah. thoughts today, Dan? Um, no, I, I got nothing else. Well, you, uh, it's been a long week. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, trust me. I know the feeling too. So you might not have much more to say about this topic, but 
if people want to go to their home for unfiltered talk about Dungeons and Dragons across all editions of the game, where can they go? Um, what? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Radio Free Borderlands on iTunes or on Twitter or on Facebook. That's probably the easiest ways to go. Yeah, and and, and I know that you uh, did a recent episode where you talked about uh, some of your experiences at the latest Gen Con. So uh, I, I I put up one. Just a, it was just a little bit of a. That was only the story because um, I had to write it out for the sake of every ver- or every other um, event. So, I mean, you can always go back and listen, and that's just kind of the basic tale as to what actually happened. Okay, and so. do you want to take a moment to explain the to the audience what that, that adventure was, or do you want to just have them just go listen to it themselves? <laughs> they should go listen to it themselves. I do a way better job by, uh, that way. <laughs> okay. Then I ain't wasting your time. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you for joining me, Dan, and uh, of course, thank you for the to all of you for tuning in to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. So, with that said, have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. Hope you stay safe, peeps from Florida. Yes. Uh, so, any listeners down in Florida or any of those affected areas. Uh, stay safe and we hope you guys get through the storm. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. 